Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Yep, right back at it here in the 7 o'clock hour. Thanks for being here this morning. We've had a lot of ground to cover. I think we've done a pretty good job. If you want to get the podcast or rewind, you can get the Odyssey app and rewind on there and listen to the last hour right now. Or you can get the podcast when we're all done with the show and listen to the whole thing all at once. My name is Ryan Wiggins. This is Wiggins America. So this hour, we are going to focus on a lot of the things going on at the Supreme Court. Um... Of course, the big news, I had planned this already, and then I didn't even know Breyer was going to retire. So then it became even more uh, relevant for us to do a Supreme Court hour. But at the very end of this hour, we have a guest scheduled from Pacific Legal Foundation. I really like these guys. They're mainly just because they're involved in everything. So these guys filed an amicus brief on behalf of the court for this case that's going to become or go before the Supreme Court sometime in the latter half of this year involving affirmative action. So we're going to talk to the source of that with Pacific Legal at the end of this hour. But between now and then, we're going to talk to Tricia in just a minute, and I'm sure we'll get off topic a little bit, but we'll start with the Supreme Court anyway, and we'll do Supreme Court now. Your thoughts. Love to know what your thoughts are about Breyer. I got to tell you, I was not anticipating there being a way out for this, you know, you, you barely, barely got a Senate majority for Democrats here with Kamala Harris, which, by the way, people have floated the idea of her being the Supreme Court pick. <laughs> how do you have the tie-breaking vote, which you would need? How, how would you be able to cast your own tie-breaking vote? I don't think you can. I think there's probably ways around that. But anyway, that's, that's kind of off in the weeds. What is actually going to happen with this thing? Because Breyer is going to retire. And he's, I think right now, the oldest member of the Supreme Court. So you're talking about best case scenario. And this is why I'm actually not that concerned about this. The dude is super far left. You could reliably assume that he was going to vote with the liberal bloc and maybe even be the liberal bloc 99% of the time. So his judicial philosophy and so forth, it doesn't really matter. His vote was always far left. So the best case scenario for Democrats is that they replace a far left person with a far left person. And you're basically just getting a new clock. You know, you're getting somebody else that's going to run out the next 30 years or something where you wouldn't have had that with Breyer. Um, So that's best case scenario. Worst case scenario. I thought was that you have somebody like a mansion or a cinema cinema who says, you know what? I don't want to see somebody who's from the squad here. I want to see somebody who's at least, somewhat in the middle. And so then I'm looking at maybe an Elena Kagan. She's not in the middle, don't get me wrong, but she will cross over once in a while and vote 7-2 to two against her own liberal colleagues, Breyer and Sotomayor. Sotomayor is just gone. <laughs> she, she's going to vote with whatever CNN is going to tell her, which apparently is where she gets all of her information based on the OSHA case. However, I talked to Brad Young this week, who was filling in for Annie Fry. And he started dropping some bombs. And so I want to play that here 
and you know, get your reaction again. I'm on Twitter. If you want to get on there at Radio Wiggins, you can find me on Facebook. Send me a message, or you can find me at my website, WigginsAmerica.com. That's where you'll also find a bunch of other stuff. Like I think my book link is there, The Life of Human. That's my novel, and um, lots of articles that I've written are all up there too. If you feel like perusing WigginsAmerica.com, you can. But here is Brad Young, me halfway interviewing him, him halfway interviewing me on the Annie Fry Show, talking about this unknown thing. And this on Thursday we talked about this, absolutely blew my mind, had not seen this anywhere, maybe you have since. See if you can follow along here. Wow, that's amazing. Wiggins, America. That is amazing. But essentially how it works is this. You remember that the Democrats changed the rules several years ago that for picks to the Supreme Court, you don't have to have 60 votes. You just have to have a simple majority. Well, wasn't it uh, Harry Reid changed it for all other judges other than the Supreme Court? Right, and then the Republicans made it to the Supreme Court. Right. So in this instance, though, before a pick can get to the floor to be voted, it has to be voted out of committee. And... Last year, because of some swapping, uh, some deal-making between Schumer and Mitch McConnell in the Senate, McConnell swung a deal to allow there to be 50-50 Republican-Democrats on the Judiciary Committee. Even though because there's a a Democrat, typically you would have a majority of Democrats because the Democrats control the Senate. But he cut a deal with Schumer in exchange for something else to allow there to be a 50-50 representation on the Judiciary Committee. Just that committee? Just that committee. Okay. 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 And he did that last year, February of last year. So when you look at the Senate rules, in order to to go to the floor to be voted, it has to receive a majority of the Senate Judiciary Committee votes. Holy smokes. Okay. And so follow me here. So if it goes 11, because there's 22 people on the Judiciary Committee. So if it goes 11 to 11, a tie, it doesn't go to the floor. Now, there's another procedure. <laughs> this is fascinating. You haven't heard about this? No. Okay, I found this. I researched this yesterday. So uh, you can still get the nominee to the floor by a different rule in a procedure. But doing so requires a 60 vote of the Senate to bring up the person to override the vote of the committee. It takes 60 votes in the Senate. So my point is, <laughs> I don't, I'm not saying that Mitch McConnell's going to do this. This is not a prediction. But what I'm asserting is, is that if the nominee is such that is not a moderate, is not even, we all know it's going to be left. That's okay. That's the consequence of an election. But if, if the nominee turns out to be too extreme, and Mitch McConnell can deploy these procedures, he can effectively block the nomination even though the Democrats have a technical majority in the Senate. Now, now let me ask you some questions about this. <laughs> because I, I love this kind of stuff, regardless of whose side it's on. I mean, this one's giving me the giggles just because of who's, who's at stake here. But could the Judiciary Committee, without Mitch McConnell, decide to do this? Well, it would, they don't do anything without discussing it with Mitch McConnell. So ultimately, he's just because he's in charge. He Correct. gives the blessing and exactly. Okay. But if he instructed all eleven member Republican members of the Judiciary Committee to vote against the nominee, and all eleven Democrats vote for the nominee, 
It's a tie. It cannot proceed to the floor as a nominee. What happens then is that Chuck Schumer, as the head of the Senate, would have to come and order it to be moved to the floor for debate. Okay. But once he does that, it's no longer as a nominee because she's he. Well, in this instance, we know it's going to be a she. She can only be classified as a nominee if she gets the support of the Judiciary Committee. Why would Mitch McConnell make this deal for a 50-50 Judiciary Committee except for this to happen? That's how fourth. That's that's what I'm trying to get at. Mitch McConnell's playing 3D chess in the Senate. So he anticipated at some point Biden's going to want a nominee and I want to have a card in my back pocket to play. And so I'll cut a deal with Chuck Schumer to give me 50-50 representation on the Judiciary Committee so I have an option in the, in my back pocket in the event I want to block another nomination. Now, but do you, Attorney Brad Young, believe <laughs> that that Mitch McConnell will not use that card? I think he would only use that card because obviously, look at the look at the uh, blowback that came whenever uh, Merrick Garland wasn't allowed to be voted on. Okay, there was a lot of blowback from that. Now, in retrospect, we know that we as a nation dodged the bullet, okay, (laughs) because we've seen what he's doing as the attorney general, and he's awful. So we really dodged the bullet on that one. But if he just played this card for any nominee, I think the blowback would be immense, even going into the midterm elections. Man, I almost think that he's he's made a case in his past now, and over the last four or five years especially— that he he doesn't care about the blowback from these kind of things. Well, that's true. But if he if he does this on someone that doesn't have objectively uh, grounds to to dispute their legitimacy and their entitlement to be on the Supreme Court, he will play this card. Man, but couldn't he play it a hundred percent of the time, because, regardless of the nominee? That's just, true. And just because, say, because here's what we don't care. Here's what could happen, though. Here's easily what could happen. Now, listen to this scenario. Chuck Schumer said he wants to have this nominee voted on by summer. If McConnell plays this procedural card, prevents, and let's just for discussion purposes, say that it's Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson, and prevents her from going to the Supreme Court. At this point, then, Biden would have to come up with a yet another nominee. Well, we're already into summer. If this drags into the midterm elections and a, a new Senate would be Republican-controlled, then that would block anyone other than a true centrist from coming onto the Supreme Court. Now, that may be his plan. We don't know. I mean, Mitch, is, it's not like he called me and told me about this. So uh, I'm just laying out the idea here that just because there is a technical majority in the Senate when you count Kamala Harris, that doesn't mean the Republicans don't have options to block a nominee who would be ostensibly objectionable. That's really something, isn't it? That is really, really something. So the question remains, will Mitch McConnell use this? Now, I don't know the answer to that question, but based on cocaine Mitch and his, they call him that because he can't be moved. You know, he's got that stone face. He's got that stone turtle face all the time. And on judiciary matters, man, he has been stalwart. He has not cared about public pushback on anything. So will he use this? I don't know. But there's a reason he bargained for it, which Brad mentioned right at the end of that or the beginning of that clip there. 
He Mitch McConnell bargained for this for this moment. So maybe you never hear about it again and nothing gets used. Maybe this becomes the biggest story over the next couple months, at least concerning the Supreme Court. I guess we'll see. But at least you can say you heard it here for, first. And really, I'm more concerned with you saying you heard it here first because then you'll tell other people about the program. Thanks for listening. Every Saturday morning on 97.1, you just happen to be tuned into that right now. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Wiggins America 97.1 FM Talk. Trisha Seekman has joined the studio as she will be doing more. Yes. That's a tease. You know what is awesome? My theme. Yeah. You like that? Thank you. Uh-huh. Thank you for that. You're welcome. It that, sounded so good. It's going to that's it's just everything be I ever wanted. Just for this week though. That'll change next week. And actually that was just the bump music. Technically not your theme. It sounded a lot like a theme for me. No, that's okay. That's okay. I appreciate yeah. that you appreciate it because it was specifically designed it with It felt you like mind. you were rolling out the red carpet. Yeah. Finally. Yeah, I was. So. <laughs> all right. Um, <clears throat> this is going to be an all Supreme Court hour. I just got done talking about it like crazy and diving in. And we're going to continue to do that, but in a different way. Because we're talking to Pacific Legal's Wen Fa, who filed an amicus. I think I'm pronouncing, pronouncing that amicus brief. Amicus. Amicus. Am- amicus. No, I think it's just amicus. I think I'm wrong. I think we're both wrong. No. I think it's amicus. No. I don't want to be wrong. Have you ever heard anybody say amicus? Yes. Who? That's why I'm saying. I think legal people say it. The rest of us say amicus. <sighs> legal people say it weird. I think so too. I think legal people are wrong. I it think should be so banned. too. From saying that word. From society. <clears throat> oh, I thought we were saying different things. Okay, I but thought the, we were like the same thing, but different. But we should just talk at the same time. Let's over do and that. Over. The whole okay. the whole segment. How much great. time we yeah, got? Let's do that. Cool. There we go. Sweet. Uh, so uh, we're going to talk to him next. But that's not even about Stephen Breyer. That's actually about the affirmative action case that's coming to the Supreme Court, making waves. There's really nothing going to happen now. It's not going to happen until I think October. But you know, they're going to take that case. It could change the way college admissions happen. Kind of a big deal. It's always been talked about. We're talk to him next. Um, let's, I just want to ask you before we get to some other stuff, what do you think about the Stephen Breyer stuff? I think any time that a president of the opposing political party is in office and a Supreme Court justice resigns, people in that part, in the opposing party, in our case, conservative party, get a little bit nervous. Sure. Yeah. Other than that, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot to dive into. Right. It's a, it's a big deal, but there's not much to say about it. I, I saw, I have seen how this president has picked his cabinet and the people around him, and it hasn't been on merit, so that makes me a little uncomfortable. Well, yeah, that's... (laughs) We'll see. Yeah, yep. Um, So here's the topic that I wanted to bring to you, just so we're not exclusively talking about Supreme Court this hour. Have you ever... I'm really popping this on you. So you're going to go, oh, I know, maybe. You'd have to think about it. So I'm sorry for that. That's okay, I think. Have you ever seen a film that changed its ending... Whether it was on the DVD, they had alternate endings, or you saw something that leaked to the internet or something, that the ending was better. 
I don't even know if I've ever seen a film with an alternate ending. Are you kidding me? No. What? Really? There was an alternate ending. No. Do you have any examples? The only one. No. Uh, okay. Yes. But the only one I could think of that I actually enjoyed was. Do you remember the movie Butterfly Effect? Yes. With Ashton Kutcher? Yes. That one had a number of different alternate endings on the DVD, I think. And they were pretty interesting. I don't remember all of them now, but I remember thinking, well, that was that was an interesting way to end the movie that they chose not to do. And I think speaking larger to that topic, the only times I've ever seen alternate endings, because a lot of times it'll be <clears throat> that either a film is so big like a Star Wars movie, that they'll actually film a couple different types of endings so that even the people associated with the movie don't know which one it's going to be. So that if there are leaks, you're not giving away the ending to people who, because they won't know. Um, But there are also just director's cuts where the director says, I'd like to do it this way, but I'm aware that... This might not be the the best play for mainstream or whatever the case is. Yeah, usually it's that it's kind of a bleak ending Mm -hmm. and they know that the studio or the audience may not like that. So they'll film an alternate ending to to just satisfy and maybe even for themselves, maybe they're not sure which one's going to play out better. And so they test screen it and the audience says, well, I like this one better. So you have an alternate ending that never saw the light of day shows up somewhere on the internet or on the DVD. Most of the time I actually enjoy the bleaker ending better artistically Although it doesn't make me feel good. No, I'm actually, I prefer the mainstream, a mainstream ending. You like one where mm-hmm. things are a little happier? Yeah. I can't say that I disagree with you as I get older, actually. Isn't Oddly. that funny yeah. that, that age changes it? I used to be a huge fan of horror and I still watch a lot of horror, but I don't like it as much as I used to because it doesn't make me feel good. And mm-hmm. dramas where you are depressed and crying the whole time, I don't watch them like I used to because it doesn't make me feel good. The older I get, the more I want to be to feel better when I finish a piece of media. Yeah. Is that an age thing or is that it, just a me thing? No, it is. It's I think it I think it is an age thing. The only exception for me is that I actually am enjoying horror more as I get older. Oh, really? Just because I'm getting bored with genres. I watch so much sci-fi, but and the older I get, the more I'm like, eh, I just want to see things kind of turn out well." Whereas I used to really want to see the dark ending. And I don't know if that's an age thing or not, but it feels like it. Well, I feel at least the horror I watch usually has a bleak ending. There's no, there's not usually a nice happy bow on the horror films. So I think that's part of the reason I'm moving away from it. Well, I think generally what I'm saying, though, is also that I want to see an ending. Because a lot of times anymore, you just kind of... Just stops. You just kind of stop. And th- there's there's implications of you know what happened. But tell me what happened. Mm-hmm. I watched this movie. You, you, the payoff is that it ends. Not that it stops, I but agree. it ends. That's, I think, kind of the core of what I'm getting to here as I get older is that I want something that satisfies, even if it's not emotionally to me, at least you tried to wrap it up. Because otherwise, you gave me a gift that was already open. You know what I mean? Well, that's that artsy artsy director's cut thing you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. They like to leave it open-ended. They like to let the audience guess. They like to let you interpret. And and more so lately. I think within the last 10 years, it's I've seen annoying. a lot more endings <clears throat> that are <clears throat> that are, they're attempting to be artistic, but it, it comes across to me as a writer 
and somebody who's written scripts, it comes across as extremely cheap. And really what you're signaling to me is you're a good writer. Maybe you put together a good movie, good plot, good ideas. You came up with good characters. If you were involved in the directing of the movie, maybe you did a good job or maybe they didn't, whatever it was. But specifically to writing, part of writing is knowing how you're going to wrap things up. Otherwise, you kind of suck. So you can do a lot of things really well. But but if if you you can't can't finish it, it, then you just basically did a whole bunch of show and then walked off the stage when the audience was ready to clap. Yeah. It's not cool. I don't like it. Anyway, I I go off on that tangent a lot, though. That's fair. It's frustrating. I don't like watching it. Have you tried rom-coms? They usually wrap things up nicely. (laughs) Yes, I've tried rom-coms. Do you you like rom-coms? No, but the older I get, the more I appreciate. Like it the more nice. I appreciate how it, it's yes, a nice world. There's a pattern to them. It's a nice world that's created. You know, at the end that it's gonna, you're going to smile. That's what we're hitting on. Is that we as a? It's not just us getting older individually. It's that society in general is so much more chaotic that we're just looking for something that calms it down. I yes, one hundred percent. I got it a little. <laughs> I delved a little into cheesy Christmas uh, rom coms uh-huh. over the holidays. And it is very nice to sit there Mm -hmm. with a group of friends and laugh at the quality of production. You know, you do the whole, like, throw the popcorn at the screen, but you laugh together. And then at the end, you're like, well, what a nice story. They do love each other after two days. Christmas movies. Is is there a perfect Christmas movie? Is it the worse it is, the better it is? I guess it depends on... For me, Christmas movies are nostalgic. Like, if it's going to be... A hallmark plot where you know exactly the beats that are going to happen the whole time. Is it better that it's cheesier? No, there's a balance. It has to. There has to be some cleverness to the writing, and to there has to be some acting chops in there because you can't completely lose. You, you can't. I mean, you can't watch garbage movies that are so bad you can't watch them. They have to be bad enough to be funny, but good enough to keep you the whole time. Did you ever see that Hallmark movie with Will Ferrell and Kristen Wiig? No. Did you know this exists? Mm-mm. Kristen Wiig and Will Ferrell, probably five, six years ago, went to Hallmark with a couple of good comedy writers and said, look, we will lend our star power to you. If, and, and same budget. We're not going to charge a lot for it. Let us do a genuine Hallmark movie. Just give us the budget to do it and we'll do it. They did it. I've still never seen it because it is impossible to find. It wasn't a Christmas movie? No, it was just it was just a movie about a husband and a wife, and then there's I think there's a woman that moves in who's like a caretaker for the baby, and then he starts to maybe like her because she's a younger woman. But it's Will Farrell. They know the whole thing is a joke. They never wink in the whole movie. They just play it straight. It is a straight-up Hallmark movie. That's a great idea. It. I, I've been dying to see this movie, but I'm serious. You can't find it online anywhere, and rarely will you find a copy of it to even buy. It's like Hallmark decided, we can't pass up this opportunity. But then once they did it, they realized, we're actually undermining our entire existence. So they just wiped the thing. It's out there. But huh. I know about the movie and want to see it. I've never seen it. so Well, I want to see it now, too. I'd like to know the name of it. Yeah, look that up while I tell you I'm about this story. Because the, the entire me. reason that I brought this up about the alternate endings and everything. Did you know this? China 
alters the endings of American movies all the time. To fit whatever agenda or whatever they're more comfortable with? Yes. No, I they didn't edit know that. Scenes out of movies. And a lot of times when you pull a scene out of a movie, it's harder to tell. But get, this one is the one that's drawing a ton of attention right now. I talked about this on Annie Fry show this week. So if you heard this already, sorry. But Fight Club, do you remember the end of Fight Club? Yes. They basically blow up, you know, credit card companies' databases. It's called Project Mayhem. Mm-hmm. They do all the, the ending is both character driven in that Tyler Durden finds out he's one guy and I don't know, kills his alter ego or something uh, somehow. Spoiler alert. Well, Just if you kidding. haven't seen Fight Club, sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, China, so it's, it, it's the ultimate anti-establishment movie. So people who've seen the movie in China are reporting now that China has, okay, this is the report, according to BBC. China has replaced the message of the movie by at the end just stopping it and saying the authorities won. <laughs> Stop it. No, I'm not kidding. That's amazing. Here here's the report. <clears throat> the original ending saw Edward Norton's narrator killing his imaginary alter ego Tyler Durden, yep. played by Brad Pitt, before mm-hmm. bombs destroyed buildings in the climax. It was basically like a financial reset to the whole world is what they were saying that they had accomplished through Project Mayhem. But in China before the explosions, a message just comes on the screen that says, police foiled the plot, arrested the criminals, and sent Durden <laughs> to a lunatic asylum. <laughs> no kidding. The new finale tells viewers, through the clue provided by Tyler, I, like, how long is this ending? It just stops and just starts. <laughs> I'm picturing n- the Star Wars scroll. Yeah, it's something like that. I think it really is. Through the clue provided by Tyler, the police rapidly figured out the whole plan, and arrested all criminals, successfully preventing the bomb from exploding. So they let you see that they planted a bomb, and then they just put this text up on the screen. How ridiculous is that? No, that's crazy. My opinion, I would like to hear yours before we run out of time here, is that that stuff backfires. Everybody, I'm not going to say everybody, lots of people in China have already seen the movie. Mm -hmm. They know how it ends. It's probably a cult classic there for that reason, because it's so anti-establishment. This kind of stuff makes people go, oh, they're scared of this movie now, too. Yeah, it, it's not a good look for the Chinese government. No. At all. Not not even a little bit. It's, I mean, controlling information like that is scary. We know what happens, right? They're limited. Not, I'm not sure about China, but they're a place in the world where you can't access certain internet sites, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> are there any rules against, you might know this better because you were in the film industry, are there any rules against manipulating content that somebody else created like that and then pushing it out? Yeah, and I, I talked about that this week on Annie's show. Uh, it's, it's hard to get into because it's so deep, but yes, there are rules against it, and studios in America fight tooth and nail against censorship, basically. Mm-hmm. Long story short... VidAngel, a company that I almost sold some shows to at one point, actually really close to. If I had, I wouldn't be here right now, I can tell you that. So maybe it was better that I didn't. But uh, they got they sued their pants off by multiple studios, Disney in particular, because what they did was they altered content. Now, they were saying, we're not the ones doing it. We're giving users the ability to do it. So you could get on VidAngel and through your subscription to Disney or Netflix or whoever, 
say, well, I want to watch this movie, but I want to take out all the cussing. Or I would just want to take out F words. Or mm-hmm. I want to just take out nudity. Or I just want to take out like brazen nudity. Or certain types of violence. You, you could edit it in a lot of ways. And that was all through VidAngel. Well, then they got sued because they said, you're altering our content. And their defense was, we're just providing a platform for people to alter the content, which is legal. You can do it if you buy it yourself. So they fought that and fought it and fought it and fought it for years. Yet in China, China alters their content all the time. They don't do anything about it. So it's that's disgusting to me. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, I don't know exactly what are they going to do to China other than say, well, then you can't have our content. That's what I would like to see them do. I mean, that's what, if you're that passionate about your art, that's what you would do. Mm-hmm. But it's clear that they're not. They, they want to censor people from not seeing gross things in the United States, but then they allow the Chinese Communist Party to censor whatever they want. Huge double standard and great point. Thank you. You're welcome. We're out of time. All right. <laughs> a Deadly Adoption is the Hallmark movie Thank you were looking you. for. Thank you. Perfect title, It came out it? in 2015. This, this title <laughs> itself is funny. All right, we're out of time. We'll be right back with Pacific Legal Foundation to talk about the Supreme Court. Today. Well, we're saving the best for last here this morning on Wiggins America. We have been touting all morning that we were going to talk to Wen Fa from the Pacific Legal Foundation, senior attorney there, and he is here. So thanks for being here, Wen. Thanks for having me on. So I'm going to do this interview all wrong. Uh, what we're supposed to do is talk big picture about what's going on and why we're talking to you right now. Let's talk nuts and bolts first, though. How exactly are you and Pacific involved in this particular case at the Supreme Court? So the Supreme Court actually granted two cases, uh, Harvard and UNC, and we filed amicus briefs, friend of the court briefs, uh, in both, which uh, urged the Supreme Court to take up the petition uh, of our friends at the Students for Fair Admissions. Okay, so now let's zoom back out and talk about the big picture. What exactly is this case? Why is it important? So this case concerns racial preferences at um, uh, colleges such as Harvard and University of North Carolina, and I think the precedent that this case sets uh, will have wide-ranging effects impact uh, impacting many of the colleges in the United States. I think it's extremely important because the Equal Protection Clause in the Civil Rights Act of 1964 prohibits racial discrimination. But 20 years ago, in a case called Grutter versus Bollinger, the Supreme Court carved out an exception for higher education uh, admissions. We think that racial discrimination uh, in higher education is just as wrong as racial discrimination elsewhere. And that's what we are urging the Supreme Court to say uh, in considering this case. So when is um, is the Supreme Court, has affirmative action been a lo- around longer than the Supreme Court ruled on it? Or are we just talking about something that really has been in law for 20 years? No, so, so uh, racial preferences have been uh, uh, around for decades. Uh, there have been cases spanning back uh, many dec- decades concer- concerning the constitutionality of racial preferences. We think that racial preferences are unconstitutional in that uh, an individual should not be treated differently based on his or her race in a arbitrary racial group. Instead, an individual should be treated on the basis of her uh, individual achievements, aspirations, and abilities. And I think each individual is entitled to that constitutional and statutory protection of equality before the law. So Pacific Legal Foundation Senior Attorney Wen Fa is with us this morning. Is this then a case where 
the Supreme Court could be overturning the Supreme Court? Uh, yes, it can. Uh, so the Grutter decision from 2003, we believe it was wrong. Uh, it allowed for an exception uh, to the anti-discrimination mandate in the context of higher education. And because it was egregiously wrong, uh, we hope that the Supreme Court in these cases overturns that precedent. So let's talk again about sort of big picture here. If the Supreme Court does overturn this, what does that mean for the average American maybe who has kids either going into college soon or who've already been there? What does it mean for the education system at large? Well, what it means is that colleges in their admissions process cannot use express racial preferences as Harvard does and as the University of North Carolina does. Uh, but, you know, I think the racial preferences are unfortunately very important to some of these schools. Some of these schools really like to have them, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So I think what we're going to see is uh, proxies for race. So schools are going to turn to facially neutral laws uh, that is intended to discriminate and has a discriminatory effect. But fortunately, my colleagues at Pacific Legal Foundation were challenging exactly those type of laws at the K-12 through level uh, in cases involving specialized schools in New York and also Thomas Jefferson High School in uh, Virginia. And I think, I think we want to get a holding that covert discrimination is just as bad as overt racial discrimination. So describe proxies a little bit then, because I've got kids who are, they're not quite there yet, so they're, they're only seven years old. But we're, we're already thinking that, you know, we're saving up for college if, if that's going to be their path. Uh, and we're looking down the line. My wife's a teacher, so she's kind of involved in academia. We we look at these things and we go, okay, what is what are our kids going to face? Because we got you know three white kids, <laughs> so they're going to at some point either go into trades or go into uh, college or whatever path they've got. Will they be facing? Let's say the Supreme Court overturns this. What what does it mean for them if there are proxies to race then? What I think it means is that uh, schools, in order to achieve their desired racial balances, some schools will turn to proxies such as geographic location, uh, for example. So our students are, we represent a group of Asian American students in our TJ case, and admissions has long been governed by objective standardized tests, but the, but the, um, uh, the county revamped the admissions process because they felt like there there were too many Asian Americans at the school and distributed uh, admissions based on geographic factors that increased the number of every race, uh, white, black, and Hispanic, and decreased only the number of Asian American students uh, in conjunction with statements that they believe that Asian Americans were overrepresented. So I think that's the type of uh, admissions process you're going to see after the Harvard case, and that's what we're fighting to stop here at Pacific Legal Foundation. Gotcha. Wen Faz on the phone with us, Pacific Legal Foundation senior attorney. I'm glad you brought that up because as I've been researching this topic, one thing that stood out to me that in the sort of barroom chat that you have with your colleagues or your friends or whatever about this case, should it come up in conversation, it sounds like when you go into it that you're talking about, well, uh, white kids are being suppressed for black kids. That's sort of like the the argument that we think we're having, but that's not actually what's happening in this case. You're filing this or, or the, uh, the Supreme court is looking at it on behalf of other minority students, especially Asians, right? Well, certainly Harvard discriminates against Asians, but I would argue that the Supreme court is looking at this on behalf of 
all of the students. Because, sure, there are students that uh, don't get in because of race, and that's certainly wrong, that's certainly offensive, that's certainly demeaning. But you also have to consider the students that do get in because of race. We know that preferences through decades of studies, that preferences uh, lead to students uh, not being able to do as well uh, in their school. And further, you know, there are plenty of underrepresented minority students who get in despite, uh, you know, who would have gotten in even despite without the preferences. So, you know, they should not be stigmatized uh, by the, uh, you know, by racial preferences um, at those schools. So I I think the ruling that ends racial preferences uh, once and for all would help students uh, regardless of background. What about uh, grants and things? Will this apply to anything like that? Well, I think that's an open question. You know, we certainly believe that if grants are distributed uh, on the basis of race, if grants are reserved for, you know, Asian Americans or Hispanic students or anything like that, that's certainly wrong. And I think a good argument can be made that that's unconstitutional as well. Um, But in this case, this deals with the admissions process, which leads to uh, college guidebooks telling Asian-American students that they shouldn't say that they want to be doctors. They shouldn't say they want to major in math or sciences because they would look too much like standard Asian. And we think that's wrong. That's offensive. And that gets that gets between an individual and the opportunity that she seeks. And so before we run out of time here, let's dive right back into the nuts and bolts right before the end of the interview. What does this look? How does this play out? When is the Supreme Court going to be taking this case? When will we know what the outcome is? So I think the Supreme Court will hear oral argument in this case uh, sometime in October of this year. And I would expect a decision uh, by June of next year. Okay, thank you so much, Wenfot. We are out of time. You are from the Pacific Legal Foundation, senior attorney. If people want to connect with you and just find out what you guys do, where do they go? They can visit us on our website at pacificlegal.org, or they can follow me on Twitter at Wenfot1. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time this morning, and thank you for being here and listening to Wiggins America. We are out of time. You can get the podcast at 971talk.com. Get more at 971talk.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.